Well, again, welcome to Kentucky Changers. We are stoked that you guys are here. Um, always especially excited to have Bill and Wayne with us. Um, I think the first time I was on their crew was down in Cumberland County. And, uh, man, they had to undo all my siding mistakes and every other mistake. And so um, I think they're relieved that I'm not on their crew this year. I'm just kidding. I love those guys. Uh, super pumped to have them here. Um, excited for you guys out of Shelbyville um, that are here today. I, I did have a question somebody asked a while ago. Do the kiddos have ponchos and things based on the rain? I do not know the answer to that, but I know that I don't, and many of our kids at GBC don't. So I'm assuming they're probably like us and don't. So guess what? Some of you, right, maybe God might move your heart, and maybe between now and when that meal finishes, you could go and grab some ponchos. So these kiddos are going to head to a job site here in just a little bit. And there's a lot of opportunity for rain this week. And so that's maybe just a way in which God might use you to minister. Um, and so I want to encourage you in that. So again, excited that they're here, humble for this opportunity for this week to minister to GBC um, and our community. And so thankful for you guys to come in to join us in that. I'm excited this morning. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 7. Uh, we're going to focus in laser on one verse, verse 25 of Hebrews 7. As you make your way there, I think... I want you to kind of consider something. Most of us at some point have probably wrestled or considered what happens after death, right? It, it may have been because somebody you loved and cared about died, and so you began to wrestle with, like, well, what happens after death? Where are they? What are they doing? Now, we realize that the answer to that question is vastly different for the Christian and the non-Christian, right? For those who die in Christ, the Bible says that, that to be absent from the body is to be present with what? With the Lord, right? Which is better by far and we, we, we know that the fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore is there. For those who have rejected Christ and die in their sin, the Bible says that they too die, but they are taken to a place called hell, where the Bible describes as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's pretty intense. It's an important thing for you to consider, and the reality is your eternity depends upon your acceptance or rejection of Christ. But I think that there's maybe a tendency in the midst of our, our preaching and our teaching and thinking about it, that sometimes we forget to wonder, well, what's Jesus doing now? Like, what's he up to? And, and I'll be honest, like, I, I'm guilty of it in my preaching so often, and, and rightfully so. We, we focus on Christ's life and his death and his burial and his resurrection. But so many times I think we minimize or, or, or just don't focus in on what Christ is doing now. And so today, my aim or hope is to try to help answer that question in some way, to help you wrestle with that idea of what is Christ doing now? What is he doing right now presently? And I hope and pray that it brings you joy, that as you hear this word today, that it leaves you with hope and peace and excitement. Because I think if, if we're honest, at times we all have fears or worries that maybe Jesus is actually having second thoughts about us. Like maybe he's like a just little bit disappointed that he has us on his team because, man, we have our struggles and our failures and the things that we said that we wouldn't do again and we did them again. We, we think like, you know what, when I hear about Jesus and the cross and what he did, like I, I know he loved me then, but like I'm wondering, like has he like cooled off maybe a little bit toward me because maybe I haven't been as faithful as I know I should have been. Maybe you feel like your struggle with sin has got Jesus kind of like distancing himself from you, kind of like saying, stay at a distance. I don't want to be near you or associated with you. My hope and prayer today is, is that you will come and hear this word and hear the truth of the gospel. To hear this hope today that Jesus saves to the uttermost because he ever lives to intercede for us. 
Hear it again. Jesus saves to the uttermost because he ever lives to intercede for us. I want to put this truth to the test today as we look through the lens of Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. So if you would, if you have your copy of God's Word, I encourage you. It'll be on the screen, but I'd love for you to open up your Word and walk with us. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. And so this first truth is this. Jesus saves to the uttermost. Jesus saves to the uttermost. In Hebrews chapter 7, the writer is, is there wrestling with this priesthood of the Old Testament. And how these different priests had come on the scenes and they were responsible for making sacrifices, right? They were going to the presence of God, representing the people. And the animal was slain to atone for their sin, to appease the judgment of God so that that person didn't have to die. But the reality is none of these priests themselves were perfect. In fact, not only were they having to make a sacrifice for the people, they were also having to make a sacrifice for their own sin. And guess what? Because of their, their sin and they were sinners just like us, they died. And Hebrews 7 says that the whole time, this Old Testament priesthood, what God had put in place was looking forward to someone greater. Someone who could come into the presence of God, not to make a sacrifice of a bull or goat, which the writer says is impossible to take away sin, but to give the sacrifice of a sinless, perfect life. Hebrews 7 says to us, that person is God's son, Jesus of Nazareth. And he is the perfect and final high priest who could represent you before a holy God. And because of who he is, if you are in him, I want you to know today that Jesus can save you to the uttermost. Listen to the word of God today. Hebrews 7, verse 25. I tell you what, let's pick up verse 23 just for a moment, just get a little context. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. So listen, there's a permanent priesthood. There's a continuation forever. And then this verse is what we're going to anchor in today. Verse 25. Consequently, as a result of being this forever priest, look what it says. He is able to save those, save to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. The Bible says that Jesus is different than all the other priests because all other priests came and they died and they stepped off the scene. But Jesus is different because Jesus died, yes, but on the third day by the power of God, what happened, church? He was raised again. That he is a forever priest. He is a living priest. And it's an amazing amazing moment, right, that we might hear who this God is. That he's a permanent priest, a forever priest, and it says because of that. Jesus is able to save you to the uttermost. Right? I mean, listen, that word uttermost indicates like completeness or exhaustion. Right? It's just saying that there's a way in which God can save you totally, completely, all of you, forever. Consider that for a moment. That God can save you completely and totally forever. That's what this idea, this imagery of this word here, uttermost, has in mind. It's a word of completeness and wholeness, right? Because I think we all wrestle wondering, is he able to actually keep me? Like you wonder because you and I, we stumble and fall and we make mistakes and we get it wrong. And sometimes we have even seasons of derailing away from the word of God and the truth. Maybe some of you have even had moments when you stepped away from the church and you wonder, is God holding that over your head? And the Bible says to us that God is willing to forgive from to the uttermost. 
fight me. It's interesting this word uttermost is, is used actually only two times in Scripture. It's used here in Hebrews 7.25 and then in Luke chapter 13 verse 11. And in Luke 13, the story is of this woman who has been disabled for 18 years and couldn't fully straighten up. I got one more. Face this. Just part of it, right? It's, it's that dual ship of preaching and, and being dad. So um, <clears throat> I'm thankful for that gift, right? Um, yeah, I miss my dad, and so I'm thankful for opportunity, um, even in moments that maybe we might consider inconveniences. Thank God for the people he puts around us. Um, but the, the word uttermost is used in Luke chapter 13. And in Luke 13, verse 11, it says that this woman had been disabled for 18 years and that she could not fully straighten. But in a moment, Jesus touches her and she is completely healed and restored. And you may sit here and wonder like, well, what's that got to do with the fact that he is able to save us to the uttermost? I think the truth is our hearts understand it. Our hearts understand that just like that lady, we're spiritually broken. We're spiritually unable to stand up in the presence of a holy God. We're spiritually disabled. We are people who are uttermost sinners. Praise God that there is an uttermost Savior. Amen? For the uttermost sinner today, to those who are completely broken and destroyed by your sin, I want you to hear that into that walks a perfect high priest who is able to save you to the uttermost what a moment. Let's be honest, though. We hear these words and we struggle believing them. Why? Because the reality is for you and for me is we have areas of our lives that we wonder, does the love of God actually reach there? Right? You wonder, does the love of God actually reach to that place of drug or alcohol addiction that rules you or pornography or lying or maybe it's your language? For others of you, listen, it's not just things that have happened right now in your life. It's as you look back down the corridor of history. And you look back to a time and a place where you did something maybe in a relationship with your marriage or maybe some way in which you stepped and rejected your parents and others who were in rule and authority over you and you went in a place of rebellion. For some of you, it was a time maybe when you were off in a distant land away from family and everyone and things you did and you just wonder and wrestle, does the grace and the forgiveness of God actually go there? You wonder, can you actually be forgiven? For me, uh, just being just honest with you, I, there's days that I struggle. I, I've shared openly from this pulpit, man, that the Lord is, has called me to get up early each morning, 5 a.m., just to spend time alone with Him. But despite prayer and fasting and accountability, and those things are absolutely, Lord, I know only the Lord can bring freedom. There's so many days I struggle and I hit snooze. And I'll just be really transparent with you. Those are days in which I feel embarrassed. Those are days when it's, I feel like maybe God's ashamed of me. Um, days when I just feel unworthy, like I've let him down. And, and, and I share that. Why? Because I want you to know that like, I'm not a guy up here trying just to preach this sermon at you. I want to receive this word with you. I need this today. My soul needs this. I want us to hear the fact that it says, Consequently, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. 
to let us know, to hear this text and realize that God's heart does not recoil back or draw back and push back away from the table and say, I'm done with you. He isn't afraid of the gutter of sin. Why? Because he comes day by day to save us from the guttermost to the uttermost. So I don't know what it is in your life currently or in the past that you feel like is just unforgivable. I want you to hear the word of God today. And the word of God says that our Savior is able to save you and I to the uttermost, totally and completely, to the deepest and darkest and worst areas of your life. What a moment of hope. Guys, this reminds my soul that God doesn't, God loves me despite my performance or past sin. And it's not just right, Jesus loved me like when he died for me. Guys, listen to this. This is what's so beautiful about this. Listen again, this verse. Consequently, he is able to save you to the uttermost. Those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. That every day, every moment, this is the heart of God towards you. Hear that for a moment. This is God's heart towards you right now in this moment. And affirm to affirm this is his heart. A story in Luke chapter 7, I think it's just a great reminder of what is the heart of God toward us. It's in Luke chapter 7. Jesus, verse 36, picks up and says that Jesus goes to have a, a dinner with this Pharisee, this religious leader. And it interestingly says in verse 37 that a woman shows up and then it identifies her. And it says this statement. This is her epitaph on her life. She was a sinner. Now, we don't know what it means, the fact that she was a sinner. We're not aware of exactly what that may involve. Likely, maybe she was a prostitute or she did something that was publicly known that this woman had an ungodly way of life. And this lady takes this perfume and begins to anoint Jesus' feet. And the religious leader is at the table. And he says, if this holy man, this Jesus, if he knew who it was that was touching him, he wouldn't let her do it. And I love the moment. Jesus turns and he, and he looks and Peter's there. He says, Peter, I got a question for you. I want to ask you a question. He says, yeah. He says, there was a certain money lender who had two guys that owed him money. One owed him 500 days wages. One owed him 50 day wages. Neither one of them could repay. And so he, out of grace, forgave them both. Peter, who do you think loved him more in response and peter said i suppose the one who had been forgiven more and jesus says you have judged correctly for he who has been forgiven little loves little but he who has been forgiven much what loves much and then the story takes a turn and he looks to this woman and says that your sins are forgiven and i love how it ends verse 50 of luke 7 he says to this woman Go in peace. Guys, she's an uttermost sinner. She is so dirty that the religious people that day don't even want somebody like her touching them. And the Son of God not only allows her to touch him, he touches her back by showing her grace and forgiveness and says, you know what? You have come to the one source that you can actually have peace. It's me. I want you to know that, guess what? That was the heart of Christ, not just in that day. That is his heart right now. That's what this text is saying. He is able to save to the uttermost right now those who draw near to God through him since he always lives. This is his constant, ongoing heart toward us. 
It's to make intercession for us. Might we hear that old hymn saying to us, What have I to fear? What have I to dread? Leaning on what? The everlasting arms. Are you resting there? Or is it dependent upon your performance? And so you feel like unworthy to sing or unworthy to give. Or maybe for some of you, that's maybe why you didn't go on Kentucky Changers this year. You didn't feel qualified or good enough to measure up. I want us to hear the grace and the mercy of our God. That this is our God. He does not cool off toward us. He is not like us. He is a God who loves us. And He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This doesn't indicate that God is not a God of discipline and that there are not sin doesn't bring issues and complications to our relationship. But I want us to know that one thing is steady. It is His love toward His children. He remains steadfast, saving you and I to the uttermost. So I think that brings us to our second truth. Is that Jesus saves to the uttermost. Why? Because He always lives to intercede for us. Jesus saves you and I to the uttermost because He always lives to intercede for us. Again, back here to Hebrews 7, verse 25. Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him. Since or because. Here's the reason why. He always lives or He ever lives to intercede for them or to make intercession for them. Notice that again. This is what He's always doing. Right? So you're wondering, right, what's God doing in heaven? What's Christ doing? Well, one of the things the Bible tells us explicitly right here in this moment is Jesus continually is making intercession for his children. So maybe we ask just a question just for a moment. Well, what does the word intercession even mean? Like, what's he talking about? Intercession indicates that, like, there's two parties, right? And for some reason, right, there, there's, there's an issue between the two parties. And so a third party steps on the scene to make a case on, to one on behalf of the other, right? You might think about a parent coming to a teacher on behalf of their child, or maybe you, you knew of someone at some point who needed a job, and you knew somebody that had a job, and so you kind of go and you went and spoke a word on their behalf to say, hey, I want to encourage you to consider hiring this person or helping them get a job. Why is this needed, right? I, I think we might ask that question. Because I thought like when Christ died on the cross, he paid the penalty for all of our sins and once and for all. And so like, is this some way? Are you trying to say that Christ's death wasn't sufficient? Is that why we have to keep asking God to forgive us? Guys, that's not at all what this passage or the New Testament is teaching. Instead, what is happening here is Christ is applying what his death and burial and resurrection accomplished to our lives. Is the death, yes, accomplished what we call our justification, our declaration that we are innocent? But listen, this right here is, as Dane Ortland says in his book, Gentle and Lowly, intercession is this moment-by-moment application of the victory of Christ to our lives. It's what Christ accomplished at Calvary is now happening as Christ prays or intercedes for you in the presence of God. He says further in his book, in the past, Jesus did what he now talks about in the present. Jesus talks about what he did then. In other words, what's our justification in the presence of God? What is Christ appealing for us on our behalf? He's looking back to his death, sinless life, death, burial, and resurrection. He's saying this is our standing. It is why we have any right or merit to be forgiven by God. It's not because you've been good enough this week. It's not because you went on enough changers. It's not because you memorized enough verses. It's not because you gave enough. It's not because you prayed hard enough. And now Jesus is like, you know what, God? Now we're really going to forgive them. No, the basis for your and my forgiveness is one thing and one thing only. 
It is the sinless life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And Christ continually at this moment, He at this moment, consider that, is interceding for you. Is that a humbling moment? Just to be honest with you, as I think about that and consider it, like it, it's encouraging, it humbles me because I think about how little I pray, but to think about the fact that even when I'm struggling to pray, Christ is praying for me. Does that not give you encouragement? Like you feel weak and you feel like, man, I just totally didn't get it right today or this week. Or maybe you've just been struggling along. And to think that all through that time, instead of Christ throwing the towel in on you, He's coming further after you. That's what this text says. That God's not running from, away from you. He's running towards you. This is the heart of God toward His children. This is Christ interceding. He always lives to make intercession for them. The truth is, it isn't just the writer of Hebrews that connects or talks about this. Paul connects actually justification and intercession. Listen to what he does in Romans chapter 8. Listen to just verse 33 and 34. Listen to what Paul says. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is what, church? interceding for us did you see the connection back here he talked about the justification so paul seemingly sees no contradiction between the justification being declared innocent in the presence of god and christ ongoing intercession for us i want to encourage you because i think at times when we think about salvation we think that like we've been put on these railroad tracks so to speak and it's tracks leading to heaven and and we've got to do our best to get ourselves there i think that This text right here, as Christ himself is interceding for us, praying for you at this moment, is a reminder as you think about that imagery, the imagery is not you in your own strength getting there. It is Christ who is the engine. You and I are the boxcar. Let's be honest. Sometimes we feel more like the caboose. But the truth is none of us have the power to save ourselves and none of us have the power to keep ourselves saved. It is the power of Christ Rest there, church. Rest in your Savior. And listen, listen, I think what compels us from this is not to do less. This compels me to do more. This moves my heart to say, I don't have to try to earn it or notch myself up that God will accept me or I'll be good enough. It is always, as we share with the kids this morning, our, our verse we're learning right now in the kids area. So if you've got some kids, third to fifth grade, maybe younger, Philippians 1 to 6, Paul says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to what church completion at the day of christ jesus what hope i'm thankful for my own children to hear those words my own soul needs to hear those words that there's a god who what he started he will finish it is the moment of hope guys i hope this compels you to run not from the father but toward him They realize that He is there interceding for you. He knows your weakness. He sees you are in my failures and our struggles. He knows that we are prone to wonder. And the temptation is the enemy will tell you and I to go further and further away. But guys, the Word of God says because Christ ever lives to intercede for you, that He desires to save you to the uttermost. It must compel you and I to come. Have you come? Are you in a distant land today? Maybe like that prodigal? 
maybe today by the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, you're just, you're, right, I love that statement. It says when he came to his senses, he came to his right mind, he thought about who? thought about his father. It's no accident that you're here today in this moment, in this church, hearing the word of God. You could be on your couch, you could be hanging out or doing other stuff, but you're here in this moment hearing God's word as a reminder to you and to I that there's a God who sent his son to save you to the uttermost. And he continues to affirm that his love towards you was not just a moment in history some 2,000 years ago. It is the heart of Christ in this moment to continually intercede for you, to cry out to God on your behalf. What encouragement. So, guys, it compels us as we hear the truth. Jesus saves to the uttermost, absolutely. And he saves to the uttermost because he ever lives to intercede for us. But I think it causes us maybe to bring to a third and last question. Can we really trust this? Like in other words, is this too good to be what? True. Is this too good to be true? Is Jesus really able to save to the uttermost? Is this really the heart of Christ toward us as sinners? Listen to what the text says again, back to verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. Listen to the statement now. Those who draw near to God, notice the statement, through him. Christ is able. To save you and I to the uttermost as we draw near to God through Christ. Right? Let's be honest. This is a dangerous thing to consider. We shouldn't take this lightly. This statement right here to draw near to God should not be taken lightly. Right? We see moments in the Old Testament, the Ark, which, the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God's presence among the people. There were moments when people thought they could just peer into the Ark. And you know what happened when they peered in the Ark? They died. The holiness of God is not something we should take lightly as if we're going to walk up on grandpa's porch one day and be like, ah, it's no big deal. You just come on in. All roads lead home. The holiness of God is serious. Our sin is serious and it separates us from a holy God. And so we must ask, can we really trust this? And the Bible here in Hebrews 7, 25 says to you and I that Christ is able to save you to the uttermost who draw near to God through him. It's coming only through the goodness and the merit of Christ. It's the hope of the gospel. Why? Why, why, should, why do we have to come through Him? Write that statement there. Why should we come through Christ? Because look what verse 26 says about who Christ is. For it was indeed fitting that we should have a, such a high priest. What kind of high priest do we have? Listen to statements. Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and He's exalted above the heavens if you're honest today you and i are the opposite of all those things we're unholy we're guilty we're stained we're sinners and we're not exalted therefore you and i to draw near to god cannot come as we are we must come to god through someone and the good news is for god so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever will believe on him shall not what church perish but have what everlasting life what a moment of invitation to come not as you not right any merit or good works of your own but coming to god only through christ that is the hope that we have why because the text says he ever lives to intercede for us some amazing way, right? I mean, as we consider the work of Christ, 
We come to God and we're not struck down. We die and at the end of our life we are welcomed in the presence of God. Why? Because of Christ. Listen, guys, as you trust in Christ what He did there, as you trust in Christ what He did now, this same Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when you walk into the presence of God, He will still be there to declare, that is my child who has repented and believed. How are you saved? For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by what, church? Works. So that no one may boast. What a moment of encouragement to come into the presence of the God of the universe. That Christ himself right now in the heavens, have you thought about that? All throughout this sermon, he is interceding on your behalf. He ever lives. This is who Christ is. This is his heart. I mean, consider this. Uh, historians tell us that Abraham Lincoln's son, I think his name was Tad, and then JFK Jr., JFK's son, that they both of, both the boys had a tendency that when their dad was in the Oval Office, maybe he was meeting with world dignitaries or others, they had a tendency to bust open the door and come right into the office and jump up in their dad's lap. I'm just going to be honest with you. If you try to meet with the president or you call the, her queen the majesty, majesty the queen, I'm guessing you're not going to get like an acceptance like, would you just fly right over the pond? We'd love to have you over and come see with the queen. But Lincoln's son and Kennedy's son could do that. Because that was their father. Guys, we have the God of the universe. And we are bid and welcome to come because Christ has made us worthy. I compel you as we close the day the words of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence. You've wondered, where does that confidence come from? It comes from Christ who at this moment is interceding for you. It is Christ who is your sufficiency. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Listen to this church. Some of you desperately, you need to, you need to hang your hat here, so to speak. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in what? Time of need. Are you there? Are you in a time of need? There's a God who compels you to come through His Son. It's the only way to come. Right? There's no other way to be welcomed into His presence. It's only through the Son. Guys, I want you to know and see the heart of God through this passage of Hebrews 7.25. Our God, our Savior, is not an Ebenezer Scrooge. He is the greatest philanthropist that has ever lived with the greatest gift that He gives, not tight-fisted, but open-handed. Compelling you and I to come and receive mercy and grace that you, no matter where the gutters of life you have been, the things you have partaken in, the good news of the Gospel is there is a God who will save you to the uttermost. That there is a Savior that this very moment in heaven, the Word of God says, He is seated on His throne and He ever lives to intercede for you. That is your sufficiency. That is your worthiness. Let that let your heart leap forth that you might praise Him, that you might give, that you might go, that you might pray, that you might share the Gospel. It is the love of Christ that will transform us and set us free. So maybe you've had the worst week ever. Maybe it's just been a really bad season. Hebrews 7.25 compels you to come.
to God through the Son. Would you do that? For others of you, it's been some good weeks. And I think the danger sometimes in good weeks is you forget how much you need to come. So I want to compel you just to slow and hit pause before you jump back out those doors and run to life and your jobs and all the demands you have and just remind you that there is a God who is able to save you to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him because he ever lives to intercede for you. I compel you to come to Christ. Believer, come and rest in his love to the non-believer. Today is the day of salvation. Repent and believe, calling upon Christ. He ever lives to make intercession. It's the heart of God. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day and this time we've had to share your word. I pray now that you will use your word, God, as the living sword that it is, that it will set men and women, boys and girls free as they look upon Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that in my weakness and the weakness of my brothers and sisters, you ever live to intercede for us. Thank you for the rescue from the guttermost to the uttermost. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you and we praise you. We ask this in your name, Lord. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.